Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here again with our guest mentor, Ellie, and, and we thought we'd ha- do something a little bit different where we wanted to combine a few topics together and uh, chunk them up into little kind of uh, mini-sodes is what we're calling them. So we wanted to be under the broader topic of kind of the, the odyssey. So for the folks that uh, are aware, they've started adding some new life stages <laughs> in be- after um, kind of childhood, teenage years, and before you get to the adults stage, they, they've added this, this ad- odyssey type um, uh, time stage where a, a lot of people are, are figuring things out. And we thought we'd get into three major topics. We'd get into uh, learning how to self-advocate. We talked to, we we're going to get into dealing with um, adversity. And the last one is, is just uh, adulting, right, in, in general. So we thought we'd kind of break it down into those uh, three topics. So I'm, I'm excited to have uh, Ellie here to, to chat about all three topics. So why don't we just get into uh, learning how to self-advocate. Uh, advocate. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about what that even means uh, and, and why is that important? Thanks, Luki. So when we were putting together these topics, I was trying to think about what themes would make a lot of sense and really resonate with especially young people, folks who are, you know, finding their way through the world. And one of the things that came to me was self-advocacy, which in a nutshell means standing up for yourself and acting in a way that aligns with your values. Um, A really easy way to think about self-advocacy is You know, when you're younger and your mom makes all your appointments for you at the dentist. And then when you get older, you need to make your own appointments at the dentist. Mm -hmm. But it's not only that, like you need to start, you know, acting in a way that your parents aren't going to help you hold your hand through every step of life. And you need to do things that are hard, like saying no to people or Mm -hmm. asking people for things that is kind of uncomfortable to ask for. So self-advocacy is, you know, acting on your own behalf with your best interest in mind. And we all need to learn and practice how to do that. Yeah, I guess when you're growing up as a kid, uh, standing up for yourself is more like standing up to bullies, right? that sort of thing in the playground, uh, when things are people are picking on you. But self advocacy is something that uh, throughout life, uh, as you grow up, as you enter the working world, and as you uh, be- become a- an adult, you need to uh, learn to uh, do things on your own, uh, as you said, booking your own dentist appointments and things like that um, is definitely one thing where uh, hopefully you're not calling uh, mom and dad in order to do that all the time. Uh, but it also uh, has a lot of application in, in the working world where, where things like um, asking for a raise, negotiating salary, and, and then uh, to your point about um, saying no, right? It's understanding boundaries where uh, if, if your boss is piling along a, a whole bunch of uh, work and, and different activities, different tasks onto your plate, well, can you say no is, is, a, is a good question. So how was your experience in, in kind of self-advocacy? So what was kind of the uh, experience that you had in, in maybe university and then transitioning into the, the working world? What were some of the things that uh, really stood out to you as kind of, oh, I need to do this on my own? Yeah, great question. In university, I would find that people often needed things from me and I had my first forays into self-advocacy when I needed to start saying no to people. Mm. Um, For example, if I, you know, if I had, I I worked out at the gym a lot and folks would ask me for free like training in the gym. 
Okay. And being a full-time university student, I I don't have time to do that. Hmm. And I certainly don't have time to do that for free. Hmm. And so it was uncomfortable for me to advocate for myself and say, look, I, I, I totally support you and, you know, your fitness endeavors, but I don't have time on my plate uh, to take on, you know, personal training for you. As I got older, um, it's also tricky because in your professional job, you get paid to work in a team and people rely on you, but you still need to advocate for yourself in order to do your best work that's aligned with your actual responsibilities in the job. So what I mean by that is that in a corporate culture, um, sometimes folks will you know, ask things of you that you just simply don't have time to take on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And so the whole point of self-advocacy is to reflect on what your goals are, what's most important to you, or most important to, you know, the job that you're trying to do at hand, and acting in a way that aligns with that. So that could be saying to your colleague, I'm really sorry, I can't help you with that this week. But let me refer you to somebody who might have the answers that you're looking for, mm-hmm. things like that. So, yeah, and I've find that working with your colleague is a little bit easier because they're kind of peers and, and they're kind of at the same level where you can kind of uh, punt it off and, and, and maybe defer it to next week. What about when it's your, your boss and uh, someone from uh, more, at a more senior level is asking you to do something? Do you have any, any thoughts or, or techniques on, on, on what you've learned over the years to uh, kind of uh, put those boundaries and, and say that, that no without saying no? <laughs> Yeah, as a young person, it's very difficult. There's a lot of pressure, um, cultural workplace pressure to defer to people who have more experience or people who have a different title, like a manager. It might be scary to say no to a manager. And so in terms of my tips, I would say, have a strong understanding of your own goals. For example, I can't say no to somebody who's asking me to do stuff if I don't even know what's on my plate. Mm -hmm. If I know that I have a project, for example, that's highest priority, and I I need to spend, you know, my focus time to work on that. That gives me a legitimate excuse to say, I'm really sorry, but I need to focus on XYZ priority. I can't help you with your task right now. So self-advocacy starts with understanding your own goals and what's most important to you in order to give other people a response, either yes, I can help you or no, I can't. And also about learning how to not just say flat out no, but give them an alternative, either referring them to somebody, referring them to a resource, or potentially scheduling something with them at a later point in time when you're less busy. Yeah, for sure. That was a lesson that I had to learn early on. And one of the techniques that uh, someone had had taught me was uh, similar to what you mentioned, where uh, well, if you know exactly what work that you have to do, yeah, uh, and your boss comes in and says, "Okay, I need you to to uh, drop all things and and work on this project," well, that that's one thing. Um, but the other part is when you know what you have to do, you can basically say, "Okay, I have these four other things that I need to do. Uh, are you okay if uh, I do them later, right? Uh, and if it's from another partner, another manager, another whatever, then you can have the same discussion. Would you? Uh, be able to talk to this manager, this person, uh, and let them know that your uh, task is, is taking priority and, and their work will be delivered later, right? And then once in a while, we have the, the, the situation where, well, they all need to get done at the same time and they're all asking you to kind of 
buckle down and work a little bit of uh, overtime and extra hours. And sometimes that, that happens. But if that's a chronic thing, then you just want to watch out in terms of the work environment. because That's not uh, a place where you can necessarily be sustainably uh, working that much. And uh, you, you might um, be victim to, to burnout later on. So just be aware right. of those things. But I think that's definitely important. Uh, so what about not just not just about checking in with other people, but checking in with yourself is for what sure. you're saying. Yeah, for, for yourself and, and to your point about knowing uh, what, what's out there and then really giving them an offer to say, okay, I have all these things to do. It all needs to get done. And you have different kind of managers and people con uh, controlling kind of your workload. Well, you can you can ask them and, and, and reach out uh, and fight amongst themselves, so to speak, <laughs> in terms of who gets you as, as, a, as a resource in order to do the work. Um, yeah. One of the things that 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 I found challenging, uh, kind of moving up the the, the ranks, was uh, voicing my opinion. Right, so you're you're kind of the low person on the totem pole, so to speak, the the, the newbie that's joining, and a whole bunch of senior, a more uh, expert uh, opinions are in the room. How do you uh, voice your your opinion, voice your thoughts, and and uh, your your insights into into a meeting when uh, there's a whole bunch of smarter people, more experienced, more senior people than you? That's scary, isn't it? It's terrifying, mm -hmm. um, the fear of being judged. You can start small. If it freaks you out way too much to ask a question in a room of 30 people, can you start to bring up your opinions in a group of three? Mm -hmm. Try to start small and build it up from there. It's like a muscle. You have to flex it in practice. Yeah, I found uh, a couple of techniques that helped. Is is one, when, when you start a meeting, always have... Uh, the intent to say something in the meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just picking out uh, what someone said and just echoing it and, and phrasing it again. So, oh, uh, I just want to confirm that uh, you meant blah, 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 just restating that. So it kind of gets you into that muscle of, of, of speaking out at, at, uh, to begin with. Uh, and then when you have to actually put in uh, an opinion or a different perspective, the way that I encourage folks to, to think about it is from the uh, perspective of curiosity. Right. So instead of just saying that's outright no and that's wrong, right? Well, could you clarify a little bit more about this? Because my understanding is something else and different. And when you approach it from a, a perspective of curiosity, it often goes a, a little bit better because sometimes they have different information. Uh, sometimes they have more information. And with that information, you might actually make the same decision as they did. But because mm -hmm. you're limited to whatever you have, then then it, 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 you have a different opinion. So those are a couple of things which I found helpful in order to kind of voice your opinions in, in some uh, in a more senior room. Yeah, and I'll just add one quick point to that, which is the juniors in a company often have more experience doing certain things, like, mm -hmm. for example, a certain type of technical thing. And that's very valuable to seniors. Um, so as a junior, you can use that experience. For example, like in my work, I've been able to use experiences that I've had working on other projects bring it to the table for the current project and say to the manager, hey, um, this is how I did this for this other project. Do you think that could work today? Mm -hmm. And more often than not, they'll consider it and go, oh, hey, it's a good idea. I, I didn't know that you had that experience. And so offering to be helpful is always appreciated. Yeah, I think that's a lot of useful tips from the professional sphere. I'd, I'd love to kind of get your insights in terms of that more personal one where you had that friend that was asking you to, to work out and, and uh, can you do that? for free, what are some of the kind of um, tips and tricks that you can have uh, in order to help uh, put them down on, on the lighter side <laughs> so they don't feel bad uh, in, in terms of you, you, you not uh, taking on that additional work? 
yeah, a soft letdown is to reiterate what my own priorities are. So not saying that I'm not, I'm not going to hang out with you because I don't like you. It's not about that, but it's just, you know, I'm sorry, I can't take this on because I only have so little time to do, you know, my own things in the gym um, and then redirecting them. So instead of saying, you know, I can't help you and I won't help you like good luck then to say, Hey, here's some resources for you. That might be helpful. Um, here's a really helpful YouTube channel or something like that, or here's another person you should speak to. I know I'm speaking about an example about personal training, but the same could apply to something like tutoring mm -hmm. or any other skill that you want, that somebody is like asking you for some sort of coaching. Um, the same applies for that. Yeah. And I think that that's one where you want to be accept accepted by your friend group for sure. Um, one of the things that seems like a strange example to come to mind is, is sometimes in university, people want to uh, copy your notes, copy your work, that sort of thing. How do you let them down in, in that regard? Or have you come up with any uh, interesting strategies to help you in those areas? You need to set a personal boundary that aligns with your own goals. For myself, um, if somebody were to ask to, you know, copy all of my assignment, for example, then I would just say, sorry, that's not what I give out. I don't give away that information. And again, like you need to know where your own line in the sand is to be able to tell other people no. So it's nothing about, I don't like you. I won't help you. A softer response is always, sorry, I can't do that because that's not aligned with my priorities. For sure. And it takes practice. It really takes practice. It's awkward. It's hard, especially for younger folks. I recognize that so much, um, but it will help so much in your personal life if you start to flex this muscle when you're earlier on in your professional life. Yeah, and one additional uh, note on that is to make it about them as well, right? To say, you know what, uh, if you do this, then you're not going to be learning and you're not gonna be getting the, the education and then you're gonna have to keep doing this for the rest of your career. And then when you get out into the workforce, what do you think is gonna happen? So if you kind of play that out and help them to understand that it's for their own good for them to be doing the assignment, then uh, it, it often helps. But uh, as you said, it's not necessarily an easy discussion, but uh, sometimes the discussion that needs to be had. Um, so I think that's a lot of useful information about self-advocacy and hopefully folks are able to take some of these tips and tricks and apply it to their own. Uh, I wanted to move into the subject of dealing with adversity, right? So if you can tell us a little bit about uh, your, your experience in, in dealing with adversity, um, I, I'm sure a lot of folks are doing that with COVID, but, but uh, I'm sure throughout various stages of life, they'll also deal with adversity. So what, what are you, your thoughts and, and insights that you'd want to share with folks? Great. Nice transition into Minnesota episode number two. <laughs> nice one on that. So I picked dealing with adversity as topic number two in our, our odyssey of Minnesotas because everybody's been dealing with some sort of adversity during the pandemic, um, whether it's your personal relationships with other people, uh, could be within your family or, or your friends or your romantic life. Um, everybody's had COVID-19 related challenges and a lot of the folks who are entering the workforce or you know new in the workforce are having professional challenges for myself I can definitely say I've solidly experienced all three um, two weeks ago I got rejected from a, a job that I was kind of hoping to get um, the position went to a more qualified candidate which is it's fine I, I had some time to reflect on that before that, a 
COVID-19 until I got my double dose of vaccination was really challenging, not being able to see my friends and to speak to them face to face. And even before that, interpersonal relationships that had to deal with, like I, I had a breakup or a relationship that I had with people in my family, like being stuck in the same house with them all the time due to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that is to say that adversity is definitely a part of going through this odyssey when you're in this stage of learning to adult. Yeah, and I think part of it is um, previous to that, a, a lot of these adversities were probably shielded a little bit by mom and dad, by uh, school, by other circumstances. But as you get out into the working world, as, after you graduate and have to kind of venture forth on your own, then a lot of it uh, is no longer shielded. And, and it, it was always there, uh, but you never had to necessarily deal with all the, the ramifications and, and the impact, right? And now that you're more independent, have to do things um, more on your own, uh, it, it comes out and, and um kind of sets, sits on, on the main stage more than, than normal. Uh, what, what are some of the, the, the tips and tricks that you would advise for folks in order to kind of deal with certain things? So, so maybe we'll take them from a um, reverse order. So those professional challenges, what are, what are some of the things that uh, would help in terms of dealing with rejection from a job or uh, doing, dealing with challenging work um, in, environments or work activities? What are some of the things that you might suggest for folks in order to deal with those sorts of adversities? Yeah, thanks for that and setting the tone for for the rest of the mini-sode in terms of order. Um, before I start talking about any of that, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, while everybody does have adversities in their life, um, if at any point folks do feel like life is way too overwhelming and there are too many adversities, please reach out to somebody for help. For sure. Talk to a friend that you, ta- that you trust or a family member. Um, you don't have to go through adversity alone. And there are so many resources to help folks to speak to uh, professionals if they are really, really feeling down on their luck. That being said, um, like I said, adversity comes in many forms, professional, COVID, interpersonal. And so was your question about like, what are some professional challenges that I faced or did you want to hear a different angle? Or more dealing with that adversity. So so this is all about dealing with adversity. So um, one view is to just suck it up right, and deal with it, right? And that's not necessarily the, the best way. So are there more kind of strategies or, or, or tactics that will help people kind of overcome um, the, the various strategies, as, as, as the various uh, challenges as they get into them? Yeah, I'd say that dealing with adversity is about knowing your strengths. Everybody has a different outlet for how they feel most relaxed, most happy, but you really need to know how you work in that sense, what really like ignites the fire inside of you Mm -hmm. in order to deal with adversity. For example, if you love to talk to your friends and you've noticed that you've kind of like become more into your shell because you're going through a hard time in your life, make it an effort to, to reach out to folks. Or, you know, if you're going through some adversity in your life, that's, you know, you haven't gotten any fresh air in days, but you really value that daily walk. You need to think about that and think, okay, well, how can I go get that fresh air? Can I like open the window? Can I go onto the balcony? Even small steps are good. So it's about coping with the things that make you feel best. And only you can be the person to decide that. You need to know what suits you. Um, And also reflecting on it. 
I think journaling is amazing. I think I've mentioned journaling in a past podcast mm-hmm. episode, you know, writing out how you feel, why you feel that way. And, you know, what your plans are to try to, to move on from that. It's okay to sit in a feeling and, and say, I'm really upset right now, or I'm really sad and write about it or meditate, anything like that. But then the important part of moving on is saying, okay, what am I going to do next? What's my next step? For sure. Uh, from my perspective, dealing with adversity oftentimes is, is just a, a mind game, right? And and really, if you can kind of shore up your mindset. So a couple of things that, that come to mind is, is the quote, uh, this too shall pass, right? So oftentimes, especially for something like, like COVID, knowing that, uh, well, the human race is resilient, right? There's uh, basically some sort of issue or pandemic or catastrophe that happens every kind of six to 12 years, right? So for those that were around uh, 2008 to nine, then the financial meltdown happened uh, in 2002, one that was like 9-11 and the, the dot-com bubble and then in the 90s or something, in the 80s or something, and every decade there was pretty much something. So uh, that's just to say that uh, beware of COVID 2029 <laughs> or, or something that's going to happen in, in, a, in a couple of years, hopefully uh, a little longer, but there will always be something and it's uh, cyclical. But keep in mind that this too shall pass, right? So we'll get over it, we'll recover. And it's kind of that expression, uh, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger and we'll all be stronger, stronger as a result. Uh, but the main part from a mindset perspective, I find it's uh, it's actually a quote again, you know that I love quotes, but this one is, is from Hamlet, from Shakespeare. And, and they basically say, uh, for there is nothing good or bad and thinking makes it so, right? So if you think about what is happening, it is, right? You uh, got laid off from work, you got rejected in an offer, right? Well, that's not good or bad, right? So if the you got rejected from an offer and you find out that your future boss was uh, like a, a crazy person and, and uh, was someone who would like be out to get you and, and had uh, crazy work ethic, that sort of thing, and, and really um, wanted to micromanage you. And maybe you dodged a bullet <laughs> in that. So it was something that you could actually be thankful for because the role might have been amazing, but there was something uh, remiss about the, the, the situation. Right. Um, so anything could be, could be construed as, as good or bad, depending on uh, how, how you decide to take it, right? So one of the uh, questions for you, you or not you, but whoever is kind of evaluating themselves is, is how is life uh, or how is this incident helping you? How is it working for you? Is, is it happening for you versus happening to you, right? And if you take that perspective of it's happening for me for a particular reason, to help me grow stronger, to help me be more resilient so I can tackle even larger challenges and really achieve my full potential later on, well, that's probably a, a good reason for, for doing that. So those are a couple of things that I think are, are helpful uh, in order to help deal with adversity. Are there any other uh, kind of insights that you would share with other folks in, in dealing with adversity? Yeah, I love how you mentioned that very last thing where you said, is the situation doing something to me or doing something for me? Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to to get to that mindset sometimes uh, to, to try to see the good in a situation. And sometimes there is no good in a situation. Sometimes things are just really, really crappy, but at least if you can, you know, reflect on it and, and journal about it, like I've said, you can at least see that you can at least glean some insights from it. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. Um, so when I, found out a couple weeks ago that I didn't get this job that 
I had applied for and that I was looking forward to getting. I was pretty torn up about it. It, you know, it made me, you know, fairly sad. And I, I thought at first that I was just sad because I didn't get the job. But the more that I thought about it and kind of like sat with those feelings, I realized it wasn't just that I was sad I didn't get the job, but it was because I was feeling a little bit burnt out from my current job. Mm. And if I had just tried to like get over it and move on and be happy, I don't think I would have gotten to that stage of reflection. Mm -hmm. So the point that I'm making here is that if something happens to you and it's adverse, you don't necessarily get the most benefit out of just, you know, kind of binging Netflix and not thinking about it. <laughs> but if you can afford time to talk out those feelings with a friend or with a therapist, a counselor, you know, really reflecting on what's happening, why you feel that way, I think it's it's incredibly valuable. So yeah. not moving on too fast, essentially, just reflecting on those feelings. For sure. And what I've come to understand is that uh, emotions are ba basically information, right? So just like your, your thoughts or, or your mind uh, giving you, you suggestions, uh, emotions are almost like your body, right? Kind of that your gut feel or whatever, giving you uh, a sense of, of, of what's, what's important to you, right? Because you wouldn't care, you wouldn't be so sad or, or whatever if, if it didn't matter, right? So that it gives you a sense of, of what is important to you. And uh, now it's a matter of what do you want to do with it? So I, I often um, use a model where when something happens, you usually do one, one of four things. You either uh, re react to it, right? So this is like the, the punch and screaming of the wall and yelling <laughs> at the top of your lungs. It's like, this is not fair. I should have got it, whatever. Um, so some people do that, but, but uh, oftentimes people bottle up and they resist it, right? That's kind of like uh, taking one of those kind of flotation devices on their swimming pool and then push it down. But eventually it pops back up and usually with more force than the original uh, resisting. Uh, the other part is ignore, right? Which is kind of what you said, binging on Netflix. I don't even want to deal with it. I'll just escape into my other reality. But then again, it usually goes back to one of the other two uh, because you haven't dealt with it. And the last one, if you can really do it, uh, is, is to accept. Right, to, to do what you said, journal and, and say, okay, why did I feel this way? Or what, what else is happening around? And oh, actually it's not related to this, it's related to something uh, else. And if you can go through that uh, series of, of inquiry, self-inquiry for yourself, then I, I think it will be very helpful to, to be able to be a little bit more resilient and, and deal with that adversity. And one thing that I encourage folks to do is, well, not necessarily seek out adversity, but to just be aware that uh, oftentimes when you hit that adversity, that means you're growing. You're doing things that you wouldn't have otherwise done. And you're really getting to that point where you are uh, reaching that potential that you, that you want to be having. Because if all you're doing is uh, day in and day out, you're being successful and doing exactly what you've done and everything is working out according to plan. Well, that's probably means because you're well below your limit and, and haven't actually do it. So with success, it, it uh, comes failure, right? And, and uh, adversity oftentimes is, is, the, is that failure uh, wrapped around in, in a different way. So if you can kind of think of that adversity, well, this means I'm, I'm growing and advancing and getting even better. Well, that's another uh, amazing perspective to have as well. Absolutely. Uh, to use a word to, to paraphrase what you've been saying is that this comes along with risk taking. Mm -hmm. And young professionals, folks who are, you know, in university or college right now, entering the workforce or, or moving through some other stage of their odyssey are bound to have to take risks. Mm -hmm. 
and those risks come with adversity. Um, but I think the point that we're both coming back to is that adversity in itself is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And we're all going to have to deal with it. But what matters the most is how you're able to process that adversity. Yeah, and it's being able to recover for from it and hopefully in a shorter amount of time each each uh, episode that it happens uh, so that it's not like uh, years, months, weeks in, in the making. Uh, well, some people, it might only be a few moments where uh, it, the emotion will happen, right? But it's a matter of, oh, you know what? I don't actually have to think that because this is what I learned from it. This is what I can take from it. This is what I can... Um, take from it in order to, to grow and, and become the best version uh, of myself. So uh, I think that's a lot of interesting and, and useful tips and tricks from a perspective of dealing with adversity. Uh, and, and if we were to move to the, the, the third episode uh, or the mini-sode of uh, adulting. So, so talking about becoming an adult because folks uh, have um, graduated and generally speaking, when you're 18, you're considered an adult, right? At least in the eyes of the law, right? But there are different types where you're, you're kind of that legal adult at 18. Uh, and then when you kind of move out of the house and, and you're more independent, you're a functional adult in the sense that you can kind of pay your taxes and, and, and have a driver's license, book your own dentist appointments and stuff like that. But then the, the kind of uh, top level is the emotional adult where you're able to deal with adversity and, and uh, all of the other things that, that, that we talked about. And you, you're really um, that, that top of the, the adult chain where you're not just uh, functioning properly and, and do, going through the motions, you're actually able to help others in, in the process. So uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, kind of your adulting journey <laughs> and, and some of the, the, the milestones that you went uh, along the way. Yeah, adulting is such a I mean, I, I haven't mastered adulting yet by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but just to note, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Just to note to especially all the, the younger folks who are thinking that adulting is scary. Um, truly and honestly, nobody has got it perfect. And everybody's still stumbling and fumbling their way through what we call adulthood. Um, a lot of us are just pretending to be functional adults, but we're, we're all still learning. And so all that is to say is that, you know, my journey through what I've been calling adulting is I really reflect on what I've, what I've learned. Um, I won't talk about so much what I've done because what you do or what you're able to accomplish depends on so many variables, mostly dealing with your parents and where you're born, where you grew up, what kind of family you grew up in. Um, but the type of adulting that you have a little bit more control over is things like your Mm -hmm. self-awareness, understanding your own goals, understanding what motivates you, um, understanding what lights a fire inside your soul and what makes you passionate about your your career, um, understanding what you want to learn. That to me is actually like becoming an adult or one of the really important parts to me. So when I think about adulting, I think about being a teenager and starting to get my first job at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of my early forays into adulting because <laughs> I had to, I had responsibilities at my job. Right. So definitely encouraging all people, all young folks out there to start volunteering, get a job uh, when you're younger. It will help you with adulting so much. Mm-hmm. 
Um, then moving through university, adulting became things like having to plan my own schedules out, um, having to, you know, apply for jobs, like co-op jobs, and having to think about planning my food um, more vigorously because I was studying at university for so many hours every day. Right. Adulting as I am now, I just turned 25. Um, adulting for me is thinking about how much money am I going to spend on stuff? Because uh, there's a difference between buying things that you want and buying things that you need. Yeah. Um, and also, again, like acting in a way that's aligned with my personal values and seeking professional development opportunities that are aligned with what I truly want to do and not just chasing things for a salary or for a paycheck. Yeah. I think what speaks to me about uh, what you said is for, for those that are on the, the younger end is to um, kind of ease your way into it instead of kind of diving into the deep end to use like a uh, swimming analogy. But if you had to basically uh, had your life taken care of you where your, your parents are really doing everything for you and then uh, you graduate and suddenly you're, you're on your own, you have to pay rent, you have to get a job, you have to cook, you have to do a blah, 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 blah. And, and you're suddenly thrown into the deep end of adulting. That's not a, a great thing to, to do, right? Versus, well, get a, a job or volunteer when, you, when you're a little bit younger, even in high school, even younger if you can manage, uh, and then maybe start volunteering and help cooking, right? Uh, some, something simple around the house and cleaning and uh, well, you probably won't be able to pay taxes and bills <laughs> at that point in time, but uh, maybe start start saving uh, that, that sort of thing, a, a little kind of youth account, that sort of thing. They, they often have those um, and, and kind of understanding what goes into uh, growing up. And then that'll allow you uh, to focus on some of the bigger picture stuff. So as you said, like your purpose and figuring out like, can I do something? Can I find a job? Can I find a career that fulfills me? Um, or is it just a hobby that I do on the side or, or is there something else? And then you get into uh, kind of growing up. And if you go the path of starting a family, how do you kind of share those values with, with uh, your, your children or, or your friends or whoever around you as well? So a lot of def different things there. Uh, what are some of the, 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 the life lessons that you learn along the way and some of the learnings that you might want to take uh, or share with folks to, to help ease them into the kind of adulting stages that, that come later on? Yeah. Um, wow. Big question to ask a 25 year old. Um, <laughs> when I was 17, I wish I knew that graduating high school and going into post-secondary education does not mean that I'm like picking my career. Sure. I, I wish, so I, I went into sciences. I studied biology at university of Toronto um, because I just didn't really know what other career paths existed. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be like a researcher, a professor. Um, I'm not, <laughs> you slash. And so I'd say the, the biggest lesson that I wish I learned earlier was to explore what really interested me at that mm -hmm. age. And then furthermore, as I got older, to sit in the discomfort of not knowing right. I didn't really know what career I would end up in when I was going through undergrad. I didn't even know that like the job that I have exists. I, I truly did not. And so being able to sit with that, with that discomfort, but moreover, understanding what lights the fire inside of you. Mm -hmm. If you love working with people, working in a team, like take mental note of that. Um, if you're really good at like analytical problem solving, if you make spreadsheets for fun, like if you've been tracking the COVID data and like analyzing the data on your, like by yourself for fun, like take note of that and actually pursue a career 
or post-secondary education that has to do with that. So understanding yourself and reflecting on it, it's very, very, very helpful. Yeah, I think what speaks to me on, on that side is a, a lot of folks, when, when they're younger and they've graduated, they, they want to find their, their passion and, and work through their passion and, and, and follow it and whatever. And, and I actually say that, well, I, I don't think people follow their passion so much as they, they create their passion. And, and what I mean by that is like, you don't just wake up and have this thought exercise and, oh yeah, I'm suddenly passionate about data. I'm suddenly passionate about this. I'm suddenly passionate about whatever. Usually it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a buildup to that where it starts off with a bit of curiosity. Oh, I'm, I'm wondering uh, like, what is this data? What can I get out of it? What can I um, do with it? And what sort of insights can I gather? And, and from that curiosity, you spend some time with it, right? You, you, you play around with the data and then it becomes interesting. Uh, and, and that curiosity develops into an interest and then an interest hopefully turns into an excitement and then that, that excitement turns into a passion right so it, it's a bit of an evolution there where uh that might be over uh months weeks years right or it could be uh, overnight in a sense but it does take some time where it, it's hard to be passionate about uh something that you just picked up yesterday right uh, although you, you can have that that true uh, excitement uh, and interest in it uh and then when you do it over a sustained amount of time that often becomes kind of that passion. So I think that's a great uh, insight for folks to kind of consider in order to uh, become that that adult, because uh, oftentimes that's one thing where, it, in all honesty, most adults <laughs> don't even have where they're working and they're operating in that kind of functional adult capacity where they're, they're living, they're surviving, but they're not uh, thriving as most people would, would, would want to be doing. Yeah. To, to put what you said in a nutshell, would you agree that you're saying you don't have to have it figure it out all at once, all at the beginning? Absolutely. So it's one of those things where uh, in, in generations before, you needed to have some stuff figured out. And, and the thing is, you, you would make a bit of a commitment that uh, you would work in that career path for the next 40 years or whatever. And, and people were, uh, were okay with that, right? So in, in those days, uh, your high school choice on what degree to go to or, and, and what uh, career path to go down was semi-permanent, but uh, or at least that was not, that was the norm, right? Nowadays, right, uh, people are hopping careers all the time. So if, if I take myself as, as a uh, case in point, I mean, I, I did computer science and then I went into more of the business side and, and now I'm, I guess I'm in education and I still have a good uh, two or three decades left, <laughs> in, depending on, on how, how long I, I continue working, right? And will I continue to do that? Or maybe I'll, I'll pick up cooking <laughs> and become a chef or whatever, or, or maybe go into uh, pharmaceuticals or whatever, right? So uh, I, I have no idea. Um, and it's one where uh, even nowadays with things like the gig economy, right, people are doing multiple things at the same time. So it's not even uh, one thing after the other. It's just, they, they, they have a whole bunch of different disciplines that they're um, undertaking from, from nine to five in the morning and then evenings they have, they moonlight as something else and they do, they'll do that for uh, the summer and they do something different uh, in the winter, right? So it, it's an amazing time to be living where there's so many more opportunities. And uh, the, the interesting thing on that is what you'll end up doing in five years, 10 years, there's a lot of stats there where a lot of those jobs haven't even been in invented yet, created yet. Yep. So you might not mm -hmm. even know. So, so to be able to predict and, and even to commit yourself to, to doing that for the next 20, 40 years uh, seems a little bit short-sighted <laughs> that you're not taking a look at the, all the potential opportunities. So uh, definitely um, take that. And, and one thing that I encourage uh, students and, and, and youth to, to do is 
become lifelong learners, right? J just because you graduated doesn't mean you stop learning, right? To, to always pick up some new skills and, and whether it's on the job, whether it's something on the side, just being interested in something and, and advancing yourself, I think would be a, a very useful thing to, to incorporate into your uh, daily routine, weekly routine or whatever, uh, because that will help kind of future-proof yourself <laughs> for any careers upcoming and, and, and just have a, a better life in, in general. Yeah, I'd love to reflect on what you were speaking about just before you ended off on, on the last topic, uh, where you were talking about different jobs and how, you know, different jobs will will and will not exist in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and to translate that into practical advice um, for students who are thinking about, like, what, what do I study or like, what do I do as a career? Like, you don't need to think about a specific job title because, like you said, Luki, to your point, it will probably not exist. Sure. And so the practical advice there is like in everything that you do, try to pick out the things that were the most interesting to you mm -hmm. because that will help you try to find your path a little bit more. For example, for me, um, my first job was I was a cashier at a grocery store and I thought that I hated it. Uh, and for the most <laughs> part, I did like it was it was tough, like being on your feet for a whole shift and like having to just like scan groceries all the time. Um, it was like hard work. But what I reflected on and realized much later, what I actually liked to do within that job was to help people. I mm -hmm. really found it satisfying when people thanked me for helping them mm -hmm. with their groceries. And so the advice for students is like, whatever you do, even if you hate your crappy part-time job, that's okay. Um, but think about at least that one or two things that you like within that job. Do you love working with your coworkers in a team? Like take that and figure out how you can apply that to what you might want to study or do as a career. So you don't have to think about a specific job title. Just pick up, pick out things from what you're currently doing that really light that fire inside of you. Yeah. And, and one of the recommendations I often have for folks is to pick off what you said before about kind of journaling uh, and, and apply it to, to this context where um, I, I use what I call the, the 5221 journaling method, where basically five minutes, uh, two minutes journaling on things that drained you, those things that you'd rather not continue doing uh, again, and then two minutes on what excited you, what energized you, what lit you up uh, during the day. And then the last one minute thinking about, well, how can you minimize the first and maximize the second. And then ideally over the course of a week, a month, a year, then you start noticing patterns, right? And those patterns are ideally the, the future job or career path that you're gonna look into and be able to develop uh, in, into kind of a very fruitful and, and meaningful career. So uh, definitely one where, where you, you can take the time to, to reflect. And, and it's one where uh, th there's all sorts of folks where they talk about like success in terms of like money and titles and stuff like that. Well, you wanna figure out whether or not that applies for you. Right? And if that's something that you need to under, undertake where you need the big fancy title and the corner office and what have you, or would you rather be doing something that, that lights you up on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, right? So those are just some other uh, con considerations. So, well, th thanks so much for, for talking a little bit about uh, kind of the, the odyssey and, and we'll kind of, uh, I believe we gave some useful in insights for folks that are going through that adulting phase and uh, going through that odyssey in general. And uh, hopefully folks will uh, be able to um, reflect and, and apply 
to themselves and, and as well be have a little bit of forewarning <laughs> for those that are yet to encounter this, that, uh, that there will be some uh, adversity that, that's coming and you will need to learn to self-advocate uh, as you kind of grow up and, and get into that ad- adulting world as well. So are there any kind of words of wisdom that you'd want to uh, leave folks with uh, as we kind of conclude this, this mini-sode? Yeah, thank you. I love that you tied together the three things. Like you can't really start to master adulting unless you learn more about self-advocacy. And in order for you to, you know, deal with adversity, part of that is also self-advocacy. Um, in terms of words words of wisdom for folks, you learn so much by talking to other people. You and I could have a whole episode on the value of networking. Mm-hmm. You could have, we could go on forever about that, but really talking to other people who are doing jobs that seem cool um, and like asking them questions or talking to a guidance counselor or an academic advisor um, in high school or university and saying, look, I'm really interested in this. Like, what can I do with that? Mm-hmm. Talking to people through these thoughts that you have about adversity or some questions that you have about how to set boundaries. Talking to people will always give you more insights than just keeping it all in your head for sure and i think uh taking some time throughout the the years and throughout your career to check in on yourself because Mm -hmm. that decision that you made in when you were 17 18 right and that that subsequent decision that you made when you're 22 might not resonate when you're 25 or 35 and that sort of thing because life changes and, and you change as well um and circumstances change so if you can kind of uh just just re redirect yourself or, or kind of um, recalibrate yourself, I think that would be a, a useful thing. Uh, and changing is, is okay, right? Being able to do something different is is not a bad thing as well, and probably makes for a very fruitful uh, career and, and an interesting life. So thanks so much, Ellie, for joining us in the, the conversation, and, and hopefully we'll have you back uh, for future episodes to talk about more things uh, in, in careers and life. Thank you, Luki. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.